everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we have all made it through another week in our long, long, long 2020 news cycle, election year, coronavirus, riots, and God knows what else is going on out there now. But before I get into the news from this past week, um, a little bit of housekeeping and a little bit to kind of let you guys know what's going to be going on over the next couple of weeks. Um, I will not be recording and uploading on my usual schedule. Next week, I will be in Dallas at the end of the week for YAL's Mobilize 2020 conference, where I will be recording there. Um, I know I'll be doing at least one, hopefully more. Maybe I will sneak in a solo if I have time, but it will not be on our normal schedule. But rest assured, there will be recording and uploading going on. I'm just not entirely sure when. And then the week after that, I'm probably not going to be on my normal schedule either because it's going to be another very busy, very hectic week. So just to give you guys a heads up, I've not forgotten you or forsaken you. Just things are going to be a little bit off schedule for the next couple of weeks. But hopefully I will be able to get some really good content out to you guys. I'm really excited about going to Dallas. Honestly, I'm just really excited to go anywhere. I've had so many trips canceled due to COVID this year that I'm just very, very happy to be actually like leaving the state and going somewhere other than my home or my work or just my general city. So hopefully that works out really great. Uh, Like I said, I'm very excited about that. So let's go ahead and get into this and I will start where I always start and that is with the unemployment numbers. And we do have some economic news from this past week, which I'll go ahead and give you guys the good news before I give you the catastrophically bad news. But on the week ending on August 25th, we had an additional 1.4 million new unemployment claims filed. So like I said, the past, barring last week, the couple of weeks before that, about three-ish weeks before that, we were kind of holding around 1.3 and now we're ticking back up to about 1.4. So That is not the trend line that anybody wants to see. It does look like initial unemployment claims are trending upwards rather than downwards, which at this point, um, I don't think anybody really had any plans for that being the case at this stage of the game. It really feels like both Congress and also, I don't just put this on Congress, but it seems like really everybody, especially in like education, in retail, Everybody kind of thought back in slash March slash April that by now things would be a lot better than they actually are. So nobody really had any plans in place for what would happen if we got to the end of July, beginning of August, and things were not quote unquote back to normal. So there's a lot of things up in the air right now as to how anything's going to get resolved. But yes, our unemployment numbers are ticking back up again week over week. Um, The good news that I have, like I said before, giving you the catastrophically bad news, is the July jobs report is not officially out yet, but preliminary reports are showing that the U.S. economy gained 2.3 million jobs in July, which is good news. If you don't take into account, we are now having 1.4 million new unemployment claims on a weekly basis, and we are on week, I believe, 19 now straight of 
over a million new unemployment claims every week. So it's it's trying. Like we're trying. And on the consumer spending front in June, um, consumer spending rose 5.6%. So it, it's, it's trying, but there's just such a massive, massive, massive hole to fill that... It's kind of like you, you've got a big old hole in the ship and you just got like, like a little, like one of those little, like little tiny, like fluoride cups. And you're trying to like scoop the water out with that. It's just, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's trying, but it's not doing nearly as much as it needs to be done because here is our catastrophically bad news for the second quarter in the United States. Um, annualized number, and I'll give you the annualized and then I'll give you compared to the first quarter. Annualized number, GDP dropped 32.9%. Compared to the first quarter of 2020, GDP dropped 9.5% in the second quarter. That is bad. That is astronomically bad. That is all hands on deck. Everything is on fire. Run around screaming like a chicken with your head cut off bad. Like, this is really, really bad. Like, in to compare it to our old benchmark of, wow, shit is very bad. The fourth quarter of 2008, which I'm sure everybody remembers what happened in the third quarter of 2008. That is when we had the financial meltdown. Um, the annualized number for the fourth quarter of 2008 was 8.4%. And that was considered catastrophic. Like, that was... Nobody had seen anything that bad in modern times. And this situation right now completely eclipses where we were at in the fourth quarter of 2008. So obviously very, 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 very bad. And also now that we have had two consecutive quarters of GDP drop, we are now officially in the textbook definition of a recession. So yeah, <laughs> Things are very bad economically, and I don't really know how you fix this. I mean, states reopening back up has helped a little bit, but obviously these drops are just insane. Like, that is... A GDP drop like that, normally that's like people start jumping off of the roofs of buildings. And I think the only reason it's not happening is because just so much other shit's bad right now that it's like, what? I mean, of course, everybody expected a GDP drop, but that's... That's rough. That is very, very rough. So it's going to be a long time before things get back to quote unquote normal if that ever happens. I mean, we're looking at years to get back what we've lost over the past couple of quarters. Woo. Yeah. A little scary out there. But on the the federal unemployment assistance front, um, there was a little bit of movement this week. Uh, Republicans released a plan that includes another round of stimulus checks and re-upping the federal unemployment assistance program, but doing it at 200 a week versus 600 a week. And Democrats have not been super receptive to this bill. And even Donald Trump I, went out in public and said that the Republicans bill doesn't do enough, which like, thanks for the support, asshole. <laughs> Like, they're out here trying to do this bill, and Donald Trump's like, no, no, it doesn't do enough. Like, oh my God, this is going to be such a shit show. But there is movement when there will be some kind of bipartisan bill to vote on. I have no idea. 
At this point, it doesn't look like anytime soon. But if I had to take a guess as to what the ultimate bill will end up looking like, I think we're probably going to get another round of stimulus checks. And I would guess that the federal unemployment assistance program will end up being around three to three fifty a week indefinitely. Because like I've like I point out every week, this unemployment situation is not slowing down. In fact, it's picking back up. Just these GDP numbers, that's insane. That is absolutely fucking insane. I I don't know. Like it's it's one of those things where at this point it's going to be a situation where Congress is going to look at this and I, I can I can already see how this is going to work out. They're going to look at it and look at those numbers and be like, the only way we can keep the economy afloat is to shove as much money into people's pockets as humanly possible and hope to God they go out and spend it and try to keep the consumer spending index up. And in, in doing that, maybe hopefully get a jobs bump or slow down these unemployment numbers. And at this point, I don't really know what else you can do. But I mean, I can already see there's going to be more spending. There will be a second round of stimulus checks. There will be an extension of the federal unemployment assistance program. The only question in my mind right now is how much? How many more trillions are we going to spend? Because it's going to happen. (sighs) I don't like 2020 anymore. God, this sucks. Just, oh my God. But that's, it's going to happen. It is going to happen. Mark my words. So that is where we're at this week on the economic front. So cheery and rosy, isn't it? But let's move on to Portland, which if you did not listen to my last episode, I sat down with Nancy Rommelman and we talked about what was going on in Portland and what is going on in Portland. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, what are you doing? Go listen to it. But where we left off on that episode is that when we had recorded it, it was just announced like the day before that DHS, well, actually technically not even DHS, it was Mike Pence and the governor of Oregon, Kate Brown, struck up a deal and basically handed it to DHS and to Trump and basically got them to sign off on it, that DHS would remove their federal agents from Portland in exchange for... Oregon sending in the state troopers and Portland sending in their police units. So, so far, that seems to be the plan that everybody has agreed on. I've not seen any numbers yet of how many federal agents have been pulled out of Portland. Um, DHS has been very cagey about those numbers the whole time. From what we've been able to gather, at the peak of their involvement, there was about a hundred some odd federal agents in Portland. I don't have numbers on how many have been withdrawn. Like I said, DHS is not exactly going to share those numbers with anybody. So we kind of have to extrapolate from reporting on the ground. But so far, it seems that Portland PD and Oregon State Troops have gone in and so far things are going as well as can be expected. Um, There have been a lot fewer people showing up to the protests in front of the courthouse, which Nancy and I predicted because, as we pointed out, a lot of the expansion of the crowd at the Portland protests was in direct response to federal involvement in Portland. Like, that became what the protest was about. So now that the feds are leaving, the crowds are starting to shrink, 
Um, I believe last night there was about a thousand people out at the protest, which at the height of the the rekindling of the Portland protest, I was seeing numbers anywhere from about two to three thousand people a night. So it is definitely dying down. Um, I'm seeing reports that protesters are starting to self-police. They're starting to actually confront people who are showing up to try to destroy property or set fires or anything like that and, and handling it that way and confronting them so as that Portland PD or Oregon State troopers don't have to come in and do this, which is what I would like to see. That is my preferred response to this because it's the, the deal that's being struck here is that DHS will leave. They will pull out Border Patrol, they'll pull out the marshals, they'll pull out whoever else they have there, but they're not going that far away. It's basically the door's been left open, and Chad Wolf was very explicit about this when he gave his statement, basically that, okay, we are going to withdraw at some point when we think that the situation is calm enough to do so, but if things flare up again when we leave, we will come back. Like, they've made that explicitly clear, and it seems that that is being understood by the protesters. And so now, kind of, it seems like they're getting the idea and the message that if they self-police, then the police will not come in and police. So, like I said, so far, so good. Um, I saw the report that Portland PD did deem the protest an unlawful protest, which I don't know where that leaves them legally. I mean, I don't think the protesters are going anywhere, but so far it seems to be a lot smaller and a lot more peaceful now that the feds are leaving. So fingers crossed that that situation remains in that things kind of start to die back down in Portland the way they were before the feds decided to go into Portland and exacerbate the situation in the first place. Another controversy to come out of the Portland situation that has since been resolved due to public outcry about it, is that people that were arrested by the feds um, started to get processed and released. And it became public that one of their conditions for release is that they had to sign off on paperwork that essentially barred them from attending any kind of public assembly, any kind of public gathering in the state of Oregon. Like, we're not just talking about just in this vicinity of the courthouse, or you can't be over here at this date or this time. It was just very overbroad sort of agreement that you had to agree to that a lot of people, myself included, took 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 to be kind of a little too overbroad because like I said, it was a ban against attending any kind of public gathering in the whole damn state, which First off, what constitutes a public gathering, legally speaking? And if you want to use some kind of legal framework to define that, I would say look at mask orders and what they deem to be a public gathering, which is pretty much anything that is not within your house or somebody else's house. So this stipulation could have had some very, very nasty implications, basically putting people on a soft house arrest. But... This did become public, and because of the public outcry, the 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 agreement has been modified that in order for condition of release, now this now it states that you have to stay, I believe it is six blocks away from the courthouse, 
between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., which is basically the hot time for the more violent protests, which that is something that still, you might still have some constitutional issues with that because you are stopping somebody from attending a, a, a protest, which you could run up on a 1A issue there, but at least that's not as overreaching as saying, basically, you can't attend any public gathering in Portland. So the ones who did end up having to sign that original agreement, it's supposed to be modified to the new agreement. Um, I think that process is still winding its way through, but yeah, that is one that did end up getting changed due to public outcry, which, I mean, there there does serve a purpose for journalism and for social media and for amplifying certain things because if nobody said anything about this then this would probably be the agreement going forward and yeah you'd you'd have some definite 1a issues there and for what it's worth a lot of the people that were picked up by federal agents and arrested and then put in jail were on petty shit like refusing to obey a lawful order like not not all these people were like setting fires and stuff so yeah, that was, that was a little bit of an overreach that thankfully got corrected, but still worth noting that they tried it and they failed, but hey, they, they tried it. So anyway, hopefully, like I said, things will continue to improve in Portland once there is less federal involvement. One can hope, and, and hopefully for all the other cities that are now having federal agents show up on their doorstep, hopefully things go well for them too. I'm... I'm a little frightened at how many cities are getting federal agents in them now and for reasons that do not at all resemble why they were sent into Portland. But that is a situation that remains to be seen. Fingers crossed for everybody because I don't uh, I, I don't want what happened in Portland to happen anywhere else. And the whole reason it flared back up again is because the feds showed up. And I mean, people are rightfully pissed off when federal agents show up to your city unannounced and unasked and just kind of set up camp and you're just like hey fuck you I don't I don't want you here like go away so anyway moving on to the new DACA news which I discussed it I believe last last weekly roundup I do believe but let me try to give a little bit of a backstory and I discussed this part when I discussed the Supreme Court decision on DACA Basically, what the Supreme Court said to the Trump administration was not so much that they can't rescind DACA, but that they did it in an arbitrary and capricious fashion, and therefore that was illegal. The The idea that they gave the Trump administration was basically that they could back up and try it again, that there was nothing stopping them from doing that. And Roberts, when he wrote on it, basically said just that, like, it's not, like, basically, try again. So... They're trying again. DHS has issued another memo that rescinds the former memos on DACA, which was what they were asked to do by the Supreme Court. So that in and of itself is not all that controversial. They're actually actually finally doing what the Supreme Court asked them to do. So issued a new memo that still puts accepting new DACA applicants on hold. And the excuse that's being put forth this time is that because the administration may rescind DACA at a later date, that they do not want to process any applications now. Which is a really stupid fucking excuse. Let's let's be real. 
Just because you think you're going to discontinue a program at some point in the future doesn't mean that you stop accepting applications for the program today. Like what, like A doesn't really have anything to do with B when you sit down and think about it. But this is one of the rationales they're putting forth for not accepting any new applications. The other one being that kind of making the argument that you can't say that somebody is reliant on the existence of a federal program if they were never enrolled in the federal program. And they're making this argument on the basis of not accepting these applicants by saying like, well, it's not like we're taking away something from them. They're not reliant on this because they were never in DACA in the first place, which is again, a really fucking stupid excuse because everybody in the country, no matter what your status is, is pretty much reliant on making sure that their legal status is cemented. Like everybody is reliant on that. No matter what stage of the immigration process you happen to be in, be you native born, you're here on a green card, you're here asylum, refugee, whatever, your reliance on your legal status being recognized. So yes, even people who are not in DACA and were not in DACA because as it was found, the program was illegally halted. Yes, they are still reliant on it. They, they, the reason that they haven't applied is not because they chose not to, is because they weren't allowed to. And the reason for why they weren't allowed to was found to be illegal. So, stupid fucking excuse. So, this is what the Trump administration is putting forth. And also for those who are currently in the DACA program, the memo reduces what used to be a two-year renewal period to a one-year renewal period at the same price as the two-year renewal period, which is $495. I mean, not an insignificant sum of money. I mean, it is something that you could gather up if you had to, but you used to have two years to do that. Now you have one and you're basically getting half of the, the renewal period for the same amount of money, which is kind of fucked up. So... That is where that is at. Now, obviously, this will be legally challenged too, just the same way the DHS, DHS memo that rescinded DACA in the first place was legally challenged. How long this will take, I don't know. But here, what you're going to see as the two main legal arguments against this. First off, the arbitrary and capricious argument, which is the same one that was made for the original DACA memo, well, the Trump DACA memo, not the original DHS DACA memo, and also the census situation. Whether you would count this as arbitrary and capricious, that is very subjective. Personally, I do, but I am not the court. I'm not the one that's going to be making this decision. So that is something that is going to be kind of up in the air. The second one, which I think has got a better chance of getting this memo thrown out is that it was signed and written by Chad Wolf, who is the acting DHS secretary. So there is some question here that since he is not a Senate confirmed director of DHS, does he have the legal standing to write and sign this memo? It seems to be from a constitutional perspective, no, he does not because he is an acting director. He is not the official director. And so therefore, because he is not Senate confirmed, he doesn't have the right to write these sorts of memos that set policy. So 
this may all get thrown out on that technicality right there, which would be rather amusing considering that would put the Trump administration in a position where if they want to do this, they would have to have a Senate-confirmed head of DHS, which they've avoided having for years for this very reason that they can then put in there whoever the hell they want and fire them whenever the hell they want. And so now they would be put in this position where like, okay, if you want to do this, if you want to rescind DACA, you're going to have to have a Senate-confirmed head of DHS to write the memo. So that would be very interesting to see how that gets sorted out. But moving on from that, and still staying on the topic of Senate hearings, um, we had another congressional tech hearing this past week. You guys know how I feel about these. And if you, if you ever want to know how freaking old Congress is and how freaking just inept at anything involving tech Congress is, go watch a tech hearing. Ostensibly, this was supposed to be an antitrust hearing, which on its face, why, why, why are we having a tech antitrust hearing? It's, there's no real antitrust issues when it relates to anything in the tech sector, but our attendees, which it seems like most of them were virtual attendees, but we had Jeff Bezos from Amazon, Tim Cook from Apple, Sundar Pichari from Google, and Zuckerberg from Facebook. All right. Just on the topic of antitrust, what are these dudes doing here? <laughs> None of these people even like particularly compete with each other. They're, they're in completely different sectors of tech. I mean, Amazon is a service provider. Apple provides hardware, software, and services. Google does search engines. And Facebook is Facebook. But anyway, they're here. And so, like I said, this was supposed to be an antitrust hearing, but because Congress is what it is now, and whenever there is a televised hearing, you already know what's going to happen. This basically just turned into a shouty match of people lining up to show that they know absolutely fuck all about how the tech sector works. And the funniest moment to come out of it is, I forget who did this, but somebody yelled at Mark Zuckerberg because Don Jr. got banned on Twitter for promoting the what I can't pronounce that word. You all know what I'm talking about. But somebody like got mad at Zuckerberg for that. And Zuckerberg's like, um, I run Facebook. You need to talk to Jack Dorsey and he's not here. So, And also props to Jack for not showing up for this shit. I, I'm presuming he decided he had something better to do, which I'm sure by the end of all of this, all of these men decided that they had something better to do. But yeah, it basically just turned into everybody trying to get their viral clips and their 15 minutes of fame and just asking the absolute stupidest, stupidest, stupidest questions that can possibly be asked of these men. And like I said, I'm not... Who who came up with this panel? Like what? Just this, this has nothing to do with antitrust. Zero, zero anything to do with antitrust. But the conversation came up about content moderation, which again has nothing to do with antitrust. So I don't know why we were even having this conversation. But again, it was a demonstration of how people who scream and holler about wanting more content moderation or less content moderation know jack shit about how content moderation works, which it's a very difficult subject. 
if I had to recommend you to read anything, I would recommend you go pick up Custodians of the Internet by Tarleton Gillespie. It's a fantastic book that highlights just how difficult content management is and how on an actual functioning practical level, various sites try to handle this situation and just how insanely difficult it is to do. It's not an easy task. You have two options right now. Actually, technically, you really only have one. You have humans doing it, which, I mean, that's fallible. I mean, you have people who are having to make these sorts of decisions in a matter of seconds of whether something stays or something goes, or you try to farm it out to AI, and AI just is not sophisticated enough right now to handle content moderation in anything other than a very crude, rudimentary way in where, like, you can program it to delete anything that contains a certain word or a certain string of words. But even then, it doesn't take into account context, which is just, I don't even know how you would begin to program AI to handle that. Because when you're talking about context issues, I mean, context issues vary from region to region within the United States, let alone globally. It's like you can say something in one place that is not particularly offensive, but in another place it's wildly offensive. And so it gets deleted and then it just, it turns into a whole mess. Like content moderation is genuinely difficult. And anybody who tries to flatten it out into being this very easy, simple thing of, oh, we'll just allow more of this or less of that. Like you don't, you're not understanding the issue. So anyway, just a lot of screaming and shouting and stupid fucking nonsense. And the discovery that Apparently, nobody really understands the meaning of the word monopoly anymore because people keep throwing around this, oh, Amazon's a monopoly, Apple's a monopoly, Google's a monopoly, Facebook's a monopoly. I'm like, none of those things are monopolies. They may be the biggest games in town, but they're not the only game in town. And a monopoly indicates that they are the only game in town. Like, if you don't like Amazon, you can go shop at Walmart, which, by the way, I'm so old, I remember when people used to try to make the argument that Walmart was a monopoly. I don't know what the hell happened to that other than, hey, guys, you know what? Sometimes creative destruction happens and the thing that you think is completely just unbeatable today is like an afterthought tomorrow. Like, that's how that's how this works. So this whole idea that any of these are monopolies, like, if you don't want Apple products, don't buy Apple products. Go buy Samsung products. Go buy Nokia. Go buy whoever. Like... If you don't want to deal with Apple, don't deal with Apple. If you don't want to deal with Google, go use DuckDuckGo. If you don't want to deal with Facebook, just don't be on Facebook. It's real simple. Like, none of these things are monopolies. So, again, just utter and complete stupidness out of Congress, as per usual. But, speaking of tech-based stupid nonsense, um, Trump decided at roughly about 11 o'clock on Friday night while sitting on Air Force One, just decided to blurt out that, hey, I think I'm going to sign an executive order banning TikTok in the United States, and I think I'll do it on Saturday. Well, as of this recording, and it is Sunday, TikTok is still operational in the United States as far as I know, but this started a whole wave of discussion as to whether that would even be something that is possible like, even from, like, a physical perspective, like, can you actually ban an app from the United States? Like, how would you even begin to do that? From a legal perspective of, does Trump have the right to ban TikTok? I mean, you could make a national security argument because of 
the fact that TikTok is owned by Chinese company and therefore any information that it gets is technically the property of the Chinese government. Anyway, on that front though, Microsoft is apparently, or was apparently, trying to buy the U.S. operation of TikTok, which I guess that deal is now put on hold because of what Trump said, which... <sighs> Jesus Christ. This man, I swear to God, this he just blurts shit out and the rest of us have to deal with it. So whether TikTok is getting banned in the United States, I don't know. I don't even know if that's physically possible. But there it is. He said he was going to ban TikTok. <laughs> and everybody's trying to make the joke that, oh, this is because of the Tulsa rally, which sure, maybe it is. I think Trump just like said some shit. He does that sometimes. Like, he's like, it's 11 o'clock on a Friday night. Why are you, why? Why are you just saying shit? God, stop. Just stop. Just stop talking, Trump. Just stop talking. Anyway, we will see what happens with TikTok. Oh no, the Zoomers. The Zoomers, what are they going to do? What's Taylor Lorenz going to do if there's no more TikTok? They'll find another platform, like they always do. You know what? Twitter should bring back Vine. That would be hilarious. Because the, apparently the other thing going on here is that Facebook is supposed to be launching their own sort of like little mini video sharing service like TikTok and like Vine. Just bring back Vine. <laughs> that would be hilarious if we just woke up one morning. It's like, oh, Vine's back. Oh, okay. I guess this whole problem is solved now. But anyway... Moving on to the last topic of conversation, and that is the fact that, hey, guys, it's still an election year, and we're actually less than 100 days out from Election Day 2020. Jesus Christ. But allegedly, in the coming week, Joe Biden is supposed to be announcing his running mate. And so there has been quite a bit of speculation as to who is going to get the nod, who is the lucky lady, because it is going to be a lady, because he's already said it's going to be a lady. Um, a lot of talk about it being Kamala Harris, which, as the kids say, read the room. Now is not the time, Joe. Now is not the time when we're talking about over-policing and the criminal justice system in this country to pick Kamala Harris as your running mate. No, 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 no. That would be so bad. Like, ew, my lord. Especially since he's so old. He's so fucking old that there's extra attention being paid this year to the VP pick because, I mean, dude's in his freaking 70s. Like, I don't have a lot of faith that either one of these men, be it either Trump or Biden, is going to make it through the next four years and still be able to, like, work as president of the United States. Like, I'm just, I, I'm sorry. They're both old as fuck and I'm not seeing it. So, extra attention being paid this year to the VP pick. Allegedly, we're going to find out in the upcoming week. So hopefully I will have time to do a weekly roundup next week and we will know who the, the, the pick is. We'll get to find out who the bell of the ball is and then we'll get to discuss that ad infinitum because this is what we do. And hey, it'll be nice to go back to talking about like election year politics instead of COVID or riots or lockdowns or not lockdowns or the fact that our economy is 
fucking cratering around us. And there's not much we can do about it. But hey, let's go back to discussing election politics, because on top of everything else, we've got that going on, too. So... At this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And as always, if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Take care and until next time.